All right, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Down East EM podcast. I have a special guest today and kind of a special topic in my mind. I'm uh, joined by uh, Ryan Marino, who is a medical toxicologist. We're going to talk about an important topic of fentanyl hysteria. So Ryan, just a little background on him as a guest because he is a first-time guest for us here. He's an emergency medicine physician and a medical toxicologist at the University Hospitals in Cleveland, where he's an assistant professor of emergency medicine there at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. Most importantly, though, Ryan wants us to know that he is an advocate for people who use drugs and really for better reporting on drugs and drug use. So, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. I'm happy to be here. So, Ryan, I invited you to join me here today on this podcast because the media and sort of subsequently social media has been going wild lately uh, with what's been termed sort of fentanyl hysteria. So ever since fentanyl kind of replaced heroin on the streets of American cities, years ago we've known about its potency and really its lethality. And it has been accurately reported that fentanyl and the other synthetic uh, opioids have been responsible for a large uptick in opioid-related deaths among our IV drug abusers. But recently, a kind of more disturbing and wholly inaccurate type of reporting has been seen, uh, a lot of it on social media and kind of some of our actually even prominent news sources. So we've seen an increase in accounts reporting of passive fentanyl overdoses, for lack of a better term. These are people accidentally being exposed to uh, the drugs such as passerbyers, law enforcement, uh, EMS, etc., and experiencing an overdose, or even people reporting that these people can become immediately addicted to these things. So... In these reports, these supposed overdoses can happen by such simply as touching a bag of fentanyl or merely even being in the same room as this drug. Ryan, honestly, what the hell is going on here? So, yeah, I mean, to to back it up for one second, I think fentanyl and these synthetic opioids, mostly fentanyl analogs, so very similar structurally uh, and physically to fentanyl, are driving what we think of as the quote-unquote opioid epidemic. Um, The number of deaths that's kind of skyrocketed in recent years, um, rates of heroin use picked up kind of in the 90s here, but uh, the death rate picked up about 2010 or so um, when these drugs started showing up in the heroin supply. Um, And so they are dangerous to people who are using drugs, but they're only dangerous um, when you're actually using them. Um, And I think the important thing to remember is just that the reason people are dying is because they're getting kind of an unknown amount. If you were using the same amount of heroin for the past 20 years even, um, and then the next day it's replaced with something that's 50 times more potent, um, you can imagine that even like a a 1% difference in the purity of that product is a 50 times increase in the dose you're getting. So that's the problem. Um, In terms of People having these kind of reactions, I think that's kind of stemmed from the reporting here. We are hearing a lot about fentanyl. We're hearing more about it than ever before. Fentanyl and other fentanyl derivatives have been in drugs like heroin um, since the late 1970s. Definitely not as much as recently, um, but none of, none of these incidences started happening until probably like 2017 um, is when they kind of all all took off. And I don't even know if anything was reported before then. Um, But my best guess is that people are hearing 
that fentanyl is very potent. They're hearing that carfentanil is even more potent. Um, I mean, numbers are thrown around like 100,000 times more potent than morphine. Uh, that can definitely kind of strike fear. It's taken on this characteristic as like a national boogeyman in this opioid epidemic. Um, and then there are also kind of other tangential things that are probably playing a role. Um, I mean, the fact that we're all, we're all taught that drugs are bad, um, drugs kind of like corrupt people's lives, uh, which is kind of our like puritanical uh, way, way of teaching society. Um, and then also incidents like the Moscow theater siege uh, back in the early 2000s um, when a, a large group of people was actually killed by some substance and no one actually knows what happened there. But the only things they were able to detect in the survivors um, later on uh, were some fentanyl analogs. So mm-hmm. I think those things combined kind of cast this mythical figure to the word fentanyl. And now the fact that, I mean, it's on, Every news station, every newspaper, every headline, um, like every day, uh, it's kind of hard to escape from this overwhelming sense of fentanyl dread. Right, right. And I mean, I, the only thing I can think of where I draw a similar comparison to potency, and it's not even the fentanyl in the media now is more potent than that green goo from the movie, the rock. You remember that stuff? Yeah, that just I would love melt that movie. your face. Yeah, <laughs> um, and but it was a uh, a very potent drug in that regard. I think fentanyl in the media today is portrayed as worse than that, and I don't quite understand a lot of the logic there. Right, a lot of fear mongering usually has a motive behind it, and it's hard to find the motive for this sort of hyper fear that they're trying to instill in the populace about fentanyl do you have any idea what might be the impetus to that so i mean i think it it does probably mostly come back to like these ideas that we all have about drugs um that i would say are probably mostly all incorrect uh like we use terms for people who use drugs and like their urine their blood as being dirty versus clean um and i think the the thought that Mm. contamination can occur just by touching someone is probably a direct offshoot of that um and i think just kind of misinformation in general about drugs has, has led us to where we are with, with kind of this widespread panic. Um, and also with these crazy death rates we're having, um, just because people are so poorly informed or uninformed, um, even the people who are making our drug policies. Um, but I, I do also have to think, and I, I hate to advance any sort of conspiratorial or like paranoid beliefs, um, but I do have to believe that there is an element at, at work here with some of this stuff um, where people are either trying to cover up their own drug use by saying that they just touched it or they were just in the room um, mm-hmm. or they're trying to increase criminalization for people who are using drugs um, or else just kind of advance these like bad drug war propaganda ideas of people who use drugs are bad. Drugs are going to kill you. Right, and they can not only kill the IV drug user, the the ones that deserve these types of things, but the innocent passerby, the the police officer. Now everyone is at risk as a victim. I could I could see where you're going there. So I, I mean, I think just to go off of what you just said, probably one of the most egregious examples of this. There was a, a young kid. I forget how old exactly, but young, um, like middle school or grade school age, who died in Florida. I want to say. Uh, like several hours after coming home from swimming in a public pool. Uh, and 
as a kind of unnatural death, this was a, a coroner's case and they performed an autopsy. And I mean, many, many substances were found in this kid, which leads, leads to a lot of questions as to how they got there. But they found fentanyl in his system. And this was reported in the news. And I think even medical people were quoted as saying that uh, he could have been swimming in the pool earlier with people who had used fentanyl and it leached out of their skin and into his, um, which is just, I mean, if you even kind of think of the timeline and the logistics and everything else involved, it makes absolutely no sense, but this ended up in print. Um, I'm sure there are people who believed it. Yikes. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good example. And it's kind of, it leads us to sort of talk a little bit more about some of the elements of fentanyl. So what we want to talk with you about, Ryan, is first, let's set some records straight about fentanyl, how it enters the body, how people can use it, things like that. So fentanyl entering into our bloodstream and affecting our body, how does that happen, Ryan? So for people who are using fentanyl on the street, um, it comes in basically the same way as heroin because at this point uh, in a lot of places, it's basically supplanted uh, the traditional heroin supply. So that's usually a powder um, that's sold in in very small amounts uh, and has to be mixed up into a solution and then injected uh, or else people can snort it. Um, Ingesting it by mouth has a lot lower bioavailability. So, I mean, people who are using drugs usually don't don't go that route because a lot of the opioids don't get absorbed um, and it's pretty slow and unpredictable. So the main way to get drugs off the street uh, or at least opioids off the street into your system would be through actively snorting, uh, like directly putting the, the powder onto your the inside of your nose, your nasal mucosa, uh, or else injecting it into your veins. Um, there, there's no way that it can just get into the air and float into your nose um, and cross those mucous membranes. Um, and then in terms of people's concern about skin absorption, uh, I think part of that, and I probably should have mentioned this before where this idea came from, there is a fentanyl patch, um, although I think the most important thing to remember here is that this is not just strictly fentanyl. This is fentanyl mixed into a solution um, and technically becoming kind of a, a different animal in itself. Um, and the fentanyl patch, so it's usually fentanyl mixed with some sort of uh, more absorbent vehicle, like say propylene glycol or some sort of alcohol derivative um, that can cross cross the skin barrier more easily. Uh, took really decades um, and millions and millions of dollars of pharmaceutical research. Kind of the, the best drug development scientists uh, were unable to do this for about 30 years. Um, and even today, the, the fentanyl patches that we have usually have to contain uh, orders of magnitude more than ends up being delivered. The, the reservoir that's held against the skin will be like a, a hundred times more than the dose people are getting um, just because it's so inefficient uh, and it takes so long to cross through the skin. The skin's a, a great barrier. So even the, the best way that the best scientists have figured out to get it across the skin, you don't get a therapeutic dose for about uh, 12 to 13 hours, I think, for the 75 microgram patch, which is like a pretty medium dose. Um, and so to think about overdosing from skin absorption would be you'd have to hold fentanyl against your skin uh, in some sort of liquid uh, and then occlusive dressing for days probably. Okay. All right. So uh, most of our recreational users are, are people that are abusing uh, fentanyl, heroin, those opioids recreationally are going to go IV simply because it's really the best bang for your buck, right? It's going to get the plasma concentration up the highest, 
and it's kind of that wrap it up and unfortunately wrap it down that that gives the euphoria that users are trying to get correct yeah i mean people have uh misused i i hate the word abuse just i know it's like what we're all taught um but drugs drugs can't be abused um people can be abused but i think being misused since i mean like the civil war when morphine became widespread there was major issues with addiction to morphine um and it was kind of the same as we see today with people who are, have addiction to heroin have addiction to fentanyl um but people injected it for a reason that gets it the fastest way um the highest bioavailability you get the most bang for your buck the biggest rush um and the most effect from that okay and then so if you're not going to be uh using drugs uh, intravenously the other way that you're mentioning is by uh nasal mucosa so people snorting it to get that nasal mucosa and what we're really looking for there is a thin mucosal membrane connected to an area that has a very decent capillary supply and that's yeah. going to happen in the nose less so in the buccal or oral area because that capillary bed is not quite so superficial the bloodstream absorption is lower which kind of leads into the idea that inhaling it into your you know bronchi is really going to do little or nothing in terms of absorption into the bloodstream because you don't have that capillary bed. It would literally have to be nebulized or atomized to get down into the alveoli to do that. And we have such good cough reflexes and mechanisms to avoid absorption of medications of that quantity that breathing in fentanyl is essentially impossible, correct? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to put a, a big pile of fentanyl powder in front of a fan and then sit in front of it with your mouth open and inhale. Um, and I think at that point, I'd be more worried about kind of the lung injury just from the direct powder on it, uh, as well as kind of like the lack of oxygen when you take away that that gradient there um, by covering it with a powder rather than a, a true overdose. Um, but it, it has never happened um, that we can document if it happened in Moscow, uh, no one's been able to reproduce this. I mean, people have been trying to weaponize fentanyl for decades. Uh, if the the Russians truly were able to to get it to be aerosolized, um, that's quite an accomplishment because no one else in the world has been able to do so, and no one's been able to replicate those events. Um, it makes more sense that something else would have been used with it, uh, probably like an anesthetic gas or something that you could even mix fentanyl into. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then the reason that is, is just the, the physical properties. I mean, like basic physics here, fentanyl itself does not easily uh, aerosolize. If you wanted to get it airborne, um, you'd probably have to get it into some liquid solution uh, and then subject it to kind of more extreme conditions than we're, we're going to just encounter um, on, on the earth in an average day without actively trying to do so. Okay. And so then... If fentanyl can only really enter the body, and we're talking the bloodstream here, through IV injection or copious mucous membrane uh, contact, mostly in the nose, why are these reports happening? What's actually happening to these officers or EMS or bystanders? What do you think's going on there? <laughs> so, yeah, that's the real meat, meat of this whole topic. Um, if I knew I could probably fix this in a second. Um, but I, I don't have a good answer. I think probably a large part of it has to do with something called the nocebo effect, um, which is kind of, I mean, if you think of like 
mass hysteria or psychosomatic reactions. Um, and it's like the placebo effect where something that doesn't have any medical or physiologic activity uh, can induce a response in someone who believes it can. Sure. Um, and so usually that's for good. So if you were to induce a negative response in someone, that would be nocebo versus placebo. Um, and I think certainly if you've heard that fentanyl has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans, it's hundreds of times more potent than anything uh, you and your family has ever known. Um, there are these reports every day of people being near it, touching it, the, the kid in the swimming pool. Um, I definitely, if I, if I was to believe those, would have a significant fear reaction um, if I ever encountered something I thought was fentanyl. So I think that's that's probably the, the largest driver. Um, but And again, not to, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there definitely have been cases that either ended up being someone was using drugs and then blamed it on this, uh, or is, it's highly suspicious that that, that might be the case. Um, and I think like one of the reasons that these stories um, are, are so easy for me and for others to rail against is there's never any evidence presented. It's so easy to do like very basic toxicologic testing on people um, to see if any amount of fentanyl is in their system. We can detect uh, with pretty routine tests that are available to almost everyone, um, e even the smallest amounts. And none of these stories ever comes forward with with fentanyl being found in the system. Um, and a lot of times the, the medical records end up being actually withheld um, and whoever was involved is refusing to release them, uh, which raises significant questions for me. Absolutely. That totally makes sense. And, and you don't certainly want to be accusing people of these types of reactions. You don't want people to be stating, oh, you know, the, the police may have uh, experienced a panic attack when they recognize that they came in contact with a bag of fentanyl after hearing how potent it is. But that sort of mass hysteria, that group reaction or uh, that that fear mongering can certainly be increasing the number of reports that we're seeing in this area. And you could totally see it going that direction with how prevalent this fear mongering through the media has been recently. Yeah, and honestly, that's something that I personally, and I know some other like people in, in the toxicology world have experienced like very significant pushback from people who think that, that I'm out to make, make some trouble for the police or say that people are just having panic attacks and like implying that there's some sort of cowardice at play. Um, I, I'm saying these are real reactions. Uh, my, my only intention here is for like better factual information so people stop having having these very significant and real medical reactions. Um, but it, but it is literally physically impossible for it to be from fentanyl. Interesting. And yeah, so that's a great transition into what we can do, right? Part of the reason that we're having this conversation right now, you and I is one, I love your Twitter feed and I, I do have a great time listening to you uh, banter with people that use no science and talk about the, he says, or she says, or my friend, actually experience this uh, when they're dealing with a, a medical toxicologist who's only talking facts. So thank you for entertaining me over these last several weeks or months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, of course. But it's a re uh, the, the real meat of this is what can we as EM providers do to help stop this alarmist or at least inflammatory reporting? Um, and how can we improve public awareness? 
So I think, honestly, one of the best things that we can all do, regardless of whether you're a medical professional of whatever um, position or a a lay person in the public um, or someone of one of those spots communicating to the other one, I think being able to recognize the symptoms of opioid toxicity is critical, not just for this, um, but because people are dying uh, and because there's recommendations from pretty much everybody at this point that people should be carrying Narcan or Naloxone um, to try to save people's lives because these are totally preventable deaths. So knowing that from an opioid overdose, people should be usually unresponsive. Um, I mean, we think of pinpoint pupils, but I think pupil exam is probably the least important thing here. Um, The depressed mental status and then either not breathing uh, or extremely uh, low respiratory rate Um, are probably the most important things. If you're in a medical setting, uh, it's probably not an opioid overdose if someone has a respiratory rate greater than 10. Um, If you have a pulse ox that's not low, um, if you have access to end tidal CO2 monitoring, there's no reason to give Narcan for those, just as an aside, um, unless they're actually low. Um, No reason to try to get someone to, like, walk walk from an overdose to an ambulance. Um, But recognizing that is important because we can save lives. Um, And also, because in all of these cases, at least all of the ones that I've seen, the symptoms people are experiencing, which again, I believe are real symptoms, um, real medical issue that they should seek uh, evaluation for, are totally inconsistent with what we expect from opioids. So they'll usually be kind of panicked or anxious, um, have a rapid heart rate, rapid shallow breathing, Um, kind of literally the opposite things. And we use opioids in medicine for people in situations like where someone has a a critical illness involving their respiratory um, or breathing uh, or at like the end of life to kind of suppress a lot of those things. Um, So the fact that people are experiencing literally the things that opioids would treat uh, is, is kind of the biggest, I think, flag for me to hold out here that this this is not fentanyl um and then in terms of what else we could do i think i guess just trying to get better education out there um better like critical thinking um that's something that i have encountered so much over the past few years Uh, i think like a lack of critical thinking and i don't know if it comes from distrust um or like bad bad journalism Um, giving people false ideas, but uh, people are so willing to turn to, I mean, totally unproven things, um, things that someone with kind of like a a grade school level train of thought could easily realize makes no sense at all. Um, Like how all these stories involving fentanyl, the only people who get sick are the people responding to the the overdose or the drug bust. um, And the guy who's caught holding, uh, enough fentanyl to quote unquote, like kill an entire state uh, has no symptoms at all. So, I mean, that, that just is kind of extremist because it's not enough to kill an entire state if it can't even kill one guy. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, we're, I appreciate your, your presence on social media and your, your dispelling of the rumors and the uh, misinformation. And it is, I think it's fear-mongering, and I think from a media standpoint, it's easy to see why you may make that report. It certainly is attention-grabbing. We as a mass populace do 
you know, we have our attention goes towards devastation, towards danger, toward the boogeyman in our in our state, in our town, in our neighborhood. And it's going to make for good, probably, numbers from a reporting standpoint. I don't expect us all to take the stand you have. I appreciate your valor and, and your willingness to commit yourself to trying to call people out for this misinformation. I think for the day-to-day doc, the people that are you know working in our departments that are listening to this, working with your EMS personnel, with your police, talking with these people and, and your EMS director possibly about raising our awareness in those folks about what fentanyl can do, what it can't do more specifically is a great starting point as well. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually glad you brought that up because that kind of raises another um, sub sub point to what you're saying. I think an important thing, um, well, what I've been seeing more recently is kind of these uh, products emerging, um, this this mar- market built around fentanyl, uh, whether it's fentanyl resistant gloves um, or using some sort of spray device uh, that is allegedly quote unquote fentanyl neutralizing. Um, or just showing up in full hazmat gear. Um, these are really expensive things, and they're they're totally unnecessary. So I think the importance of communication between like doctors um, and EMS professionals uh, and law enforcement um, and other first responders who might not know that these are a total scam, for lack of a better word, um, but they should not waste their money on them. They don't have to be afraid. Uh, fentanyl resistant gloves are literally just nitrile gloves uh, that someone is you selling. Just call from... them gloves. <laughs> yeah. Just gloves. Yeah. And I mean, you want to use gloves to touch any unknown substances. I mean, we have mass outbreaks now of weird things like measles. Um, that that would be my bigger concern going to kind of scenes um, as like a first responder yeah. uh, rather than any sort of drug exposure. Um and so I think just just trying not to get a not to fall victim to these kind of I don't know if the the people selling them are truly con artists or not, um, but uh, a fentanyl neutralizing spray uh, is total BS in That's snake oil. in my yeah yeah it's completely um, and oil. there's absolutely no need for that. Uh, we have a lot of better things we can utilize uh, our resources for. Sure, I agree. And yeah, so just to sort of wrap this up, I want to make sure that we put that plug out there. And I I think that, you know, as doctors or just medical providers in general, we have to see circumstances like this where, you know, health myths information, it needs to be a true enemy um, and an enemy to us, an enemy to the progress of medicine and really societal health as a whole. So whether it be things like vaccination myths that we've we've been combating for years or the new one that we're talking about now today, fentanyl hysteria, we need to see this as a threat in our field and really to the health of our patients. So anything you can do to help educate your colleagues, your EMS personnel, your law enforcement, and the general population is going to be a service to your community. So Ryan, I just want to say thank you for joining us to dispel some of these myths about fentanyl and its properties. And I hope you guys learned a lot. I know I did. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jason.